Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, I'm Dom. Welcome along to episode 32 of Runners Only with Dom Harvey. On this episode, Sophie Devine. I think if you would have asked me a couple of years ago about depression and things like that, I would have been like, oh, I don't really get it. Like, I don't understand. Whereas now I'm like, fuck, I can understand if you don't brush your teeth for two weeks. Mm. I get it. We've probably copped a fair bit of, of shit, especially when our performances haven't been up to scratch. And I'm the first to admit that we always want to win games of cricket and we're doing everything we can to try and win games of cricket because that's why we play the game. Sophie Devine is an absolute sporting legend in New Zealand and it's a title that she loathes. She really is, though. She played hockey for New Zealand and she's currently the captain of the White Ferns cricket team. She made her first-class debut when she was 14. 14! And she's been in the national side since she was 17. She's 32 now. I really hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Sophie's a lot of fun, and we cover a whole lot of stuff apart from boring old cricket. But even if you're not into cricket, she's such a good storyteller, I reckon you'll enjoy those yarns, especially the ones about growing up and playing in an all-boys team. They're awesome. All right, let's get into it. Sophie Devine. Hey, runners only, yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is runners only with Dom Harley. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just wanna connect for everyone who loves running. This is runners only, yeah, yeah let's get it started. Hey, hey, this is runners only with Dom Harley. Fast paced, slow and steady, anywhere you coming. Just wanna connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, runners only with Dom Harley. Runners only with Dom Harvey and New Zealand sporting legend Sophie Devine. Why, why are you, why are you pulling a face? Um, why are you pulling a face at the sporting legend? Because when I think of sporting legends, I think of Val Adams, Sarah Ulmer. I think about yeah, yeah, they're, they're no slouches, but they only played one sport for their country, didn't they? Jeez, oh, they're still legends, though, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Well, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you see yourself in the same sort of same sort of league? Um, I don't know. I guess it's a hard thing to do while I'm still playing. Yeah. I sort of see them as, even though Valerie's obviously only recently retired, I still see them as so much more on a pedestal and, and what they've been able to achieve globally, I think anyone around the world would be able to recognise. I mean, it, it helps when you're eight foot three, doesn't it? And, you know, but I see them as just absolute legends and, and have conquered not only in New Zealand but around the world as well. And I'm mm. sort of still... Probably a little bit in my own world, I think, with that, that piece. Oh, I don't know. Like, cricket's, a, cricket's a fairly big international sport. It is. Yeah. Women's game, probably not quite as much yet. I mean, it's certainly, it's getting there. It's getting there, which is cool, and it's growing, and it's, you know, starting to get a bigger, bigger platform, but it, it's nowhere near as big as, you know, athletics and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Jeez, there's so much to discuss with you. We've got to talk about the hockey. You, you, you play for the Black Sticks. You're currently the captain of the, the White Ferns, and you're going to the Commonwealth Games. Um, but first of all, uh, the podcast is called Runners Only. Um, what's your, do you have a relationship with running? Do you run for fitness? Do you run for fun? Is running a part of your life? 
It actually is. Um, Whew, that's lucky. Yeah, no, that would have been awkward. I would have, this would be a quick podcast. <laughs> well, 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 I had um, um, Jimmy Nisham on uh, an earlier episode, and yeah. um, because I, I see him out running, and I, he's on Strava, so I know that he runs. Um, but as soon as he got on the podcast, he was like, I fucking hate it. I hate it. I only, I'm a big guy, and it hurts, and I only do it because I have to. Yeah, it's probably an interesting one. I reckon earlier on in my career, I was exactly the same, hated it. And I had to do it because it was part of your training. So I never really enjoyed it. But certainly probably the biggest thing that changed was COVID um, and obviously spending a lot of time training by yourself. And I initially it, it sucked. Like I hated it. And I was, <laughs> man, this, this is shit. Like I was having to have a break every five, ten minutes, heaving myself breath in and thinking, you know, it's, this is embarrassing as a so-called athlete to, to be struggling. But, but over time it certainly started to grow. And when you see those little wee small improvements – I was like, shit, you know what? This actually isn't too bad. And then obviously for the mental benefits that I started to see for me was was huge. So absolutely, it's actually become something that I really enjoy doing. Now it's a little bit difficult trying to find times to do running outside of my training schedule. Obviously running's part of our training program. Yeah, but yeah. to you know, go for some, I say long runs, it's nothing compared to what you do with marathons and stuff like that. But certainly when I can to just get outside and you know the feeling that you get afterwards is – um, pretty hard to replicate in other things. Mm. What sort of distance do you go? Like 5K, 10K? What do you reckon? Oh, anything. Usually between 5 and 10K. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just don't know how I'd do a marathon. I, <laughs> I just, yeah, I don't know. And I've got, you know, such admiration for people that can do it. You know, I saw Ruth Croft winning, oh, what was it, Incredible, the 100 miler. Yeah, 100 miler. That's it's 160Ks. Fucked. <laughs> she's, um, she's an absolute weapon, eh? Like she, um, she... Endurance sports is one of those ones where um, the importance of um, sex classes sort of gets diminished. Like she, she, mm. she'll, she'll, she'll beat dudes. Oh. She's over. She wins races overall. I just can't even believe. I think what she won it in seventeen hours or something. That's oh, crazy. I just can't even imagine running for you know, let alone ten hours, let alone seventeen. So, yeah, full credit to, to people that can do that. That's crazy good. Okay, so. Um, let's wind the clock um, right right back. Okay, so young Sophie Devine, you're growing up, you're in um, Tawa? Yep. Um, the the shithole of Wellington? <laughs> Is it? No. <laughs> How do, what, what's their town slogan? Yeah, well, it's... Uh, um, Tawa, at least it's better than Otaki. Yeah, I mean, it's not saying much, though, is it? Obviously, <laughs> when you drive into Tawa, at, at one end it's the women's prison, at the other end it used to be a mental hospital. So, um, mm. you know, it's... Not known for too much. It's obviously got um, Outlet City now, though, which is a big draw card. Um, What's that, like an Outlet City, like a seconds mall? Yeah, oh, pretty, pretty much. So, look, I mean, I, I certainly joke about it and, and give it plenty of stick, but I'm really proud of it. Um, it's where I grew up. It's where I think, I guess, a lot of my early learning in sport was made with the people that I played with and the sports that I was able to pick up and the, the mm. support that I had. Unbelievable. Like, there's got to be something in the water. So in the White Ferns team currently, we've got four, four players from Tawa, it all went to the same school growing up through is that high school. so? Yeah, which is... Wow. You probably struggle to find, you know, unless yeah, right. they're rel- related, um, you'd probably struggle to find that. So, yeah, Tao was, yeah, just a, a really happy place to grow up. Originally, I actually wanted to be an all-black. Um, when I was super young, I didn't realise that there was a women's rugby team, so I always wanted to play, play rugby. I never did. But I always just wanted to be an all black, and that was sort of. I feel like you'd be good at any sort of sport. You, you I mean, you've, you've you've had success with um, hockey and cricket. I feel like whatever you wanted to do, you'd probably excel at. As yeah? long as long as it's not in the swimming pool, because oh, I can't <laughs> swim for shit. Like honestly, as soon as we have to do some sort of pool recovery, I'm yeah. got the swimmies on and the you know whatnot. But um, I think playing sports is just part of what Kiwis do, though, yeah. isn't it? Doesn't matter what it is, and for me. 
parents certainly encouraged me to play everything. So I remember growing up, it was obviously hockey and cricket, but it was football, it was netball, basketball, it was uni hoc, it was anything I could get my hands on I, I sort of wanted to do. And again, I was really lucky with just the kids that I had around me as well, the, the mates that I had, and they were the same. That We just wanted to play every sport for as long as we could, you know, it was that... Sounds real old school, doesn't it? But you'd be playing, you know, as soon as the sun was up, and you wouldn't be playing. You'd be playing till the sun went down, and that was your time to go home and get fed. And how good? Yeah, when? How old are you? When did? You, were you growing up in like the nineties? Yeah, so the nineties. Yeah, thirty-two now. So yeah. So it's 90s. kind of kind of like pre sort of internet, really, eh? and definitely yeah. pre devices. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I'm really thankful for that. Yeah, I can see are. today that it's a completely different world mm. um, with that. But yeah. Again, the support I had, Dad's a, a mad sports lover as well and, and he coached me, particularly with the cricket side of things, for most of my early life. And I think the biggest thing um, that he always got across, I mean, I don't know what the, I guess the opposite of biased is unbiased. You know, <laughs> like he absolutely used to slam me in, in team trainings and stuff, like I'd never get a go and things because he wanted to make sure that... Oh, so instead of like favouritism, he was yeah. probably even harder, I suppose he yeah. sort of... I don't know, I suppose he wanted to do that to like set an example to the others, that there was no favouritism. Yeah, he did, and it certainly made me work hard and things like that, but he was always the person I could go to if I wanted extra throwdowns or to bowl some more balls after training, or he was always there. So I'd hate to think about how many balls he's thrown me in the cricket nets over his lifetime, um, wow. and that his shoulder's still intact is, <laughs> is pretty incredible. But it paid off though, right? Yeah, it does, and a lot of that has to go to him. There's, there's yeah. all those hours that, you know, I don't think of it as training or anything. It was just fun for just me. Just fun, yeah. Just to go and play, and, you know, he always, whatever the trainings, there was so many games that we played, and he really made sure we had fun as kids. As I look at some of these training programs and academies that are out now for under nines, and, you know, these young kids, and they're structured, and it's like, man, they're kids. Just go play. Just have fun and incorporate some sort of learning into it, but it's fun. You know, it's not about winning or losing. It's about hanging out with your mates and just yeah, shit, enjoying the sport for what it is. You know what? I had a conversation with um, Sir John Cooan just the other day, and he said he said pretty much word for word the exact same thing. He said the, those sort of sporting academies, it's like your kids get to like 11 or 12 and they go, well, I'm not good enough, so I'm going to drop out of the sport. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly what you were saying. Yeah, it's sad. It's really mm. sad. And I think, you know, I was lucky that um, – yeah, I just played a whole heap of sports and no one told me what I could and couldn't do. There wasn't probably so many of those academy and things floating around, but there was certainly rep teams and A and B teams and stuff like mm. that. And you do, you just think now about how many kids miss out because they don't make, you know, the top 11 or the top 15, yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I just think back and think how lucky and fortunate I was growing up when I did. Mm. So, so um, okay, so you're growing up and you're very, you're very good. I mean, do you have older brothers? Yep, so I've got um, three siblings. So I've got an older sister, an older brother, and a younger sister. Right. They all play cricket? No. Uh, my sister, my older sister, actually, that I live with, has got the record for the most pukes on a cricket field after being <laughs> hung over, being roped into play. So she vomited about four times, I reckon, at square leg, which is nice for the people around her. So, um, square leg? Oh, that's um, sort, of like a, sort of slips area? Uh, no. Sort of by, by the umpire stand. Okay, so, okay. Um, well, that's disgusting. Yeah, so that's a, that's a great achievement for the division. Vine family, um, but my brother, um, yeah, played quite high level sort of age group representative right. stuff. So I'm, I'm guessing that helps sort of like sharpen the pencil for you growing up, like yeah. you know, playing with your dad and your older bro. Oh, absolutely, and, and and you know, all his mates like would be playing. I remember um, probably some of my best memories when we lived in Tower. We moved house and we had this front yard that was in the shape of an oval. We called it the Divine Oval, and we somehow. Yeah. 
stole a concrete roller as well from I think it must have been from the local school or something but you know you'd see us in the weekends rolling our pitch and then we'd get some chalk out and mark the lines and stuff and we'd be playing test matches with kids from the the neighborhood and and my brother's mates and things like that and it was just again you'd be playing till you couldn't see the ball and you'd be knocking yourself out because you couldn't see it and again just those sort of times where I never thought of it as training or you know sharpening my tools or whatever else it was just Mm. Such good fun playing and, and the rivalry. Like, I never got to bat, and we had some really good rules where, you know, if you hit it over the road, it was down sort of a cliff, so you're six and out. And, <laughs> and you had to retrieve the ball. You had to retrieve or fork out from your pocket money. I mean, there were a couple of times where I did get my brother out, and he'd chase me with a stump you know, with the, the, the metal spike at the end, and a few cricket bats were thrown and stuff like that. But it's just all part of it. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, it's just childhood. It's. Yeah, looking back now, though, you, you know how much it really did shape you. Mm. Do you. Do you know about the um, the 10,000-hour theory? Oh, if you do something to an expert yeah, level or whatever from, it is. from um, this Malcolm Gladwell book called um, The Tipping Point, and he reckons that yeah, to get to um, pretty much as good as what you're going to be, uh, obviously you make incremental gains after that, but 10,000 hours is the amount of hours you need to do, and mm. you probably did them in your childhood. Well, probably would have got close. Yeah, and didn't really think anything of it. Yeah. So again, just enjoyed it. Just enjoyed it and loved it. Mm. So when, um, so when did you realise you were good at both um, hockey and cricket? And when uh, could, were you able to do both? I'm yeah. guessing one's a summer sport, one's a winter sport. Yeah. Yeah. And so, those, I guess, were the days as well where there wasn't much crossover. As a season was a season, whereas now they just bloody leak into each other, and there sure. is no sort of break in between. So I was always really fortunate that I could play both sports. Um, I probably. I didn't really know because I actually played, I played boys cricket all the way through up till high school, and, and I actually did. You, was there just no, no, not enough, not enough girls to put yeah. a girls team together? Yeah, oh, that yeah. would have changed now, though, right? And probably oh, massively. You, and you guys, the White Fins, have probably had a bit to do with that. I'd yeah, say, yeah, it is. Over it's, recent years, it certainly changed a little bit. I mean, there were a handful of girls that played when I was growing up, but none of them were any good, or mm. you know, wanted to be in a team full of boys. But again, I was so lucky that that same group of guys were my mates, and we. Went through all the age group stuff together. We went through the same schools together. So, you know, it was no different for me. And I didn't know any different. Yeah. I always compared myself to the boys. So I never saw myself as shit. I'm, I might be really good for a female, but I was like, well, I'm probably middle of the pack with the boys. Right, so, right. you know, it probably kept me in check a little bit. So, um, what age did you start playing like the boys' cricket? I, from the start. All right, from like primary school. Yeah, from when I first picked up, four or five. What was that like? Like, I, I mean, as you get older, I'm sure there's there's more tolerance and understanding. But um, you know, I'm thinking at primary school, they'd be like, "Were, you, were, were, the, were the boys weird about it?" Uh, like yeah, it, and, initially, and, and called you weak and things. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. and sadly, it was actually the parents. Shut up! No, really? Yeah, they were the ones like, "Oh, what's a girl doing? Get her out of here!" Like, I don't want my son to be playing with a girl. How embarrassing! She's going to hurt herself. And that's fucking outrageous. It's. Again, I was... Yeah, you remember it, so it's obviously a thing. Yeah, but I was really sheltered and protected by my parents and things like that. That probably blocked out a shitload more of those sort of comments. Um, it was probably more funny when I got to high school because I played with the same... So there must have been about seven or eight of us boys that played all the way through. And, I mean, we used to take the piss because any time we came up against a new team, they'd sort of look at me and be like, oh, what the fuck? Like, oh, <laughs> here we go. They must have scraped in someone's sister or whatever else. The guys were like, please, can I bowl to the girl? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, that's where I guess my mates were so good is they're like, you fucking idiots. Like, you just wait. Like Your mates as in your teammates. Teammates. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's because you'd, you'd, like, you'd won their respect because yeah. you were that fucking good? Yeah, well, I think I could just match it with them and they knew yeah. that I could hold my own and – um, 
you know, it was always good fun if I, I was predominantly a bowler um, when I was younger and, and taking wickets and things like that. Some of the shit that the boys used to give the opposition, like, fuck, you must suck if a girl got you out. Do you know what I mean? I didn't have to say anything. It was great. You know, I could just stand back and, you know, I copped a bit, fair bit, but I knew that my mates around me, fuck your shit. How embarrassing, you know, go out, you know, you've been bowled by a girl sort of thing and, you know, there'd be a few tears when they're walking off. <laughs> And I suppose that, you know, if you're bowling and you get smashed for a six by this little girl in the other team, oh. humiliating. Shouldn't be, though. Oh, it shouldn't be. And that's where it's great that it's starting to change now. Yeah, and, and you in talk, a big way. Yeah, and you, and you start to talk to a lot of, I guess, other female cricketers at the elite level and a lot of them played boys cricket growing up and same sort of thing. They had to be able to hack it because you wouldn't last. And I do. I just think I was so lucky with the support I had from my teammates but also from, like, the club and also the school, Tail College and – the principal there, Mr Lucas, who, again, higher up, college sport and whatever it was, I had to get dispensation to play in the boys' stuff, you know, and this is coming from people that have never seen me play or, you know, I said, oh, it's not safe, health and safety reasons, you can't play. What, what, yeah, why did they mean it wasn't safe in terms of, like, being hit by a ball? or yeah, but there's they, just as much risk of a male player being hit by a ball than a... Exactly, I guess, though, they were concerned females can't play. <laughs> you can't you can't bat pretty much, you're shit too, so we're trying to save you. So, again, I was probably um, really protected in that sense, I think, for yeah. my family and stuff, and I was probably a bit naive that well, I didn't get it because all I knew was boys cricket, Yeah. so it was no different to me. So I remember being pretty pissed off, though, when that first came through, saying, oh, no, they're going to stop you playing. And I just couldn't work it out. I mean, I was only, what, 12, 13? What do you mean I can't play? These mm. are my mate. I've played with them for five, six years. I don't get it. Oh, that's cruel. Yeah, it was, and that's what upset me most. Mm. It was that people would never see me play within making decisions about my life and what I wanted to do. So, again, the support was awesome and fought back. And, I mean, there was, I guess it's probably fair rules, but, like, I had to have my own changing room and I had to have a chaperone and I had to go into the changing room and stuff like that. But, again, I didn't think any different because these were all my mates that I'd grown up with. And, yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah, there was a few challenges there early doors, but... Again, I think so many great memories of, mm. you know, just my mates sticking up for me and, you know, just the opportunities oh, I was able to cool. have. that's cool. That is so, so cool. Yeah. You're still in touch with any of those those guys now? Um, a couple of them. Not not too much. It was actually, again, this show's tail. I mean, there must be nothing else to do but play sports. So um, <laughs> in that team we had Evan Williams who plays squash for New Zealand. We had Blair Hilton who's played for the Black Sticks men's team over 200 caps, I think. We oh. had another age group New Zealand swimmer. You know, we just had kids that loved playing sport and pushed each other, and that's just what we did. So, mm. um, yeah, again, just really fortunate, and it's probably just good timing, do you know what I mean, that we all sort of found yeah. each other at the same time and, and grew up together. Mm. So when did the when did the hockey come along? Well, that was always just... Just bubbling under. Just bubbling under. And but were, you, were you in a, a mixed team for the hockey, or was it a, was it a girls' team? No, that was more girls' team, yeah, obviously. Yeah. It was um, pretty popular. Sure. Girls' sport growing up, so I was definitely all in the in the girls' grades representative stuff. I did play a little bit of boys' hockey as well, though, again, sort of that late primary school age, intermediate age, which was good fun. Again, it was the same mates that played cricket. as We just jumped teams, jumped sports sort of thing. So, so that was cool. But hockey was always there, but there was always just so much more competition between hockey and cricket in terms of just the numbers. Like mm. I could count on one hand how many female cricketers there were around my age. But hockey, you know, you had – Felt like hundreds of girls yeah. ready to play, so so that competition was um, was always there. But it's something that I always loved hockey. Um, just different environment, different sport. You know, you probably couldn't get too much different from cricket to hockey in terms mm. of the 
the amount of running and you know different skills that are required. Yeah. So that was always there, and I was really fortunate to play representative hockey and things like that. Um, and like I said earlier, being able to play both. Yeah. So, we, we, yeah, we, so were you naturally? Do you think like better at um, hockey than cricket? Um, I actually don't know. I mm. think though. Because there was no other girls playing, <laughs> I probably got more opportunities playing cricket than I did hockey. Right, right. So I probably gravitated naturally towards cricket because I was like, well, there's not as many people playing, so sweet. So what, what um, national team did you make first? Was it the, the, the Black Sticks or the White Ferns? No, it was the White Ferns first. Right. Um, How old were you then? Uh, I just turned 17. Wow, that's bonkers. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. It is, but it isn't, I guess, when you consider so... Um, so you're still at school? Yep, still at school. I got the phone call when naming myself and the team when I was at inform class at the start of the day and taking the phone call from the coach and the rest of the day was a write-off. I mean, me in school, you know, I go for lunch and playing around sort of thing. So, Did you did you, did you realise you were sort of in the frame? Um, sort of. So I made the Wellington women's team when I was – I must have just turned 14. Um, <sighs> yeah, so, I mean, I'd sort of been in and around playing <laughs> wow. with – Yeah, playing with – um, older females for a long period of time sort of thing but that was the first time I'd seen it, a fem- an all-females team playing sort of thing so I was like shit this is cool um, so I've been playing at the Wellington level for a couple of years and sort of I guess knew the standard that I needed to be I never you never you know think that you're going to get picked but certainly that phone call was yeah pretty overwhelming I think as a as a young kid yeah, so so who whose phone was it? Was it your phone or yeah. no? It was my phone. So yeah. I remember I was in in class, you know, being so a, a bit, bit naughty, not having your phone on flight mode. I know, I know. <laughs> well, and I did. I remember taking it, um, taking the call outside of class, and you know, give the news. Congratulations, you've been selected for the White Fins. You're going to come with us to Australia, and you know, um, you know, hopefully debut. And I remember just being like, "Fuck! Like, what do I do? Like, obviously excited as hell." And I remember walking back into class, and the teachers are like. What's wrong with you, sort of thing? I was like, Miss, I've got to go. And she's like, Oh, bugger off then, sort of thing. <laughs> um, so, again, I was really lucky. She was actually a really yeah, good yeah, you know, yeah. support there, but, but ringing mum and dad and just the pride and stuff like that to be able to tell them. Oh, know. my God. Yeah. Did you burst into tears? Like happy tears? Uh, no, I don't think there was tears. I think yeah. there was a bit of squealing and a little bit of just like. Just delight. Yeah. yeah like yeah. it was. I guess it would be a dream. Do you know what I mean? Like I always, I mean, I know originally I wanted to be an all black, but I wanted to play sport for New Zealand. I didn't care what sport it was, whether it was cricket or hockey or bowls. Oh, evidently. Evidently. You've been very, very greedy with your representation. Uh, Yeah. So I think for that to finally start to becoming true was, you know, pretty special. I mean, finally becoming true. You were 17. You were barely born. Yeah, I know. Well, (laughs) but then when you think about how long I'd been playing for and and the Wellington stuff, it was almost sort of felt, yeah, like at long last. Well, yes and no. Like yeah. I sort of not taking anything for granted, but I feel like I had played for a few years mm. there, and yeah, oh shit, it was just crazy. That's like half a lifetime ago. That's how long. That's how long you've been you've been doing this. Yeah, so it's incredible, absolutely yeah. remarkable. Oh, it's it's a good innings, as they it say. It's a very yeah, good yeah, innings. Yeah. It's crazy to think that this has pretty much been my life. Mm. You know, I hear people talking about, and I think it's super important as they have, you know, jobs and lives outside of cricket and they've had experience and, you know, but I've never technically worked a nine-to-five job. Absolutely, I've held, you know, bits and pieces jobs that have sort of, you know, not much. I've been so fortunate to have been able to play sport for pretty much my whole adult life, which is yeah, incredible. incredible. 
Okay, so so you're 17, you make the, the New Zealand cricket team. Um, what's that first like training like, or the first team meeting, or whatever? When you, is that intimidating? Oh, what's the average age? Sort of early, oh, early to mid twenties. Yeah, at least yeah. probably mid twenties. And these were people that I'd sort of looked up to. So obviously, the 2000 Women's World Cup was again the first time I'd seen women's cricket on TV. So I was only what 10 or 11 at that age, and I'd seen some of these players playing in that tournament, and to be here now, and them saying my name. I was just like, holy fuck, like, I don't think I spoke for the two-week tour to Australia because I was so <laughs> shit scared of saying the wrong thing or them hating me or whatever, but just being oh. able to be around, you know, what I saw as legends of the game yeah. was just, yeah, unbelievable. What was it like? Was it like a, a supportive environment, even though you didn't say much? Did the, um, did the others yeah. say much and take you under their wings sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I was really lucky that there were a few Wellington players in the team at the time that sort of knew me so I could sort of gravitate a little bit towards them but obviously being a fair bit younger than everyone else as well was you know there's always going to be that little bit of a gap but no I just absolutely loved it and to be there I mean it was my dream so I was you know absolutely frothing just being there and taking in everything that everyone did whether it was the training whether it was what they did at night time whether it was whatever it was the conversations I was just like this massive sponge like thinking this is the greatest job. Taking yeah. it all in. Yeah. Yeah, how good, how good. Okay, so, th- so then when did, the, um, when did the black sticks stuff come along? So that probably, so again, I was sort of playing both the whole way through, so I made the junior black sticks when I was around the same time, actually. Um, so I must have got picked, yeah, 17 for cricket and then went to the Junior World Cup with hockey in 2009. Um, so I was juggling both. And then I made the Black Sticks team in 2009 as well, actually. So how old were you then? 19. 19. Yeah. So you're, you're still a teenager and you've, you've, you've become a double international. It's incredible. You must, you, you must be the youngest, the youngest New Zealander to become a double international. I wouldn't know. I feel like you don't get enough, enough credit. Oh, but that's, again, that's where I look to now and I don't think you'll see many other double internationals or, you know... Anymore, yeah, anymore. because of the overlap. Because of the overlap, because of the contracting system, because professionalism is, mm. you just won't be able to do it. So I count myself really lucky and, again, even more lucky that I've played so much cricket with Susie Bates, who's also a double international. She yeah. went to Beijing with basketball. You know, there's not too many times that I can, you know, have a chat about the crossover and having to juggle two sports with someone like that. So, um, yeah, juggling the two, and, and I did. I managed to sort of go in and out of both camps for a couple of years. Um, but I remember the coach of the hockey team at the time was sort of like, this must have been sort of 2010-ish, late 2010, 2011, saying, right, you need to make a decision now because <laughs> like, it's great when you're in camp, but when you go back to cricket, the girls just keep moving forward and you don't. And then when you come back into the hockey camp, you have to sort of catch up. Right. You're going to have to make a call. And I was just like, fuck, what do I do? Like, mm. I can't see myself giving up cricket. I've played cricket every summer for the last, you know, 15 years of my life. Um, but I knew that opportunity with the London Olympics in 2012 coming up. Um, it was probably it was up there with one of the hardest decisions I've had to make in terms of having to put cricket on the back burner. Um, but I decided, you know what, fuck it, let's go for it. You know, Olympic Games don't come around too often and things like that. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, made the decision to, to shelve cricket for a little bit um, and give 100% to hockey in the hope that I guess the end goal was to make it into the Olympic team for, for London. So I ended up moving up to Auckland. We were centralised there for about, must have been close to six months leading into those games. Um, was playing and touring with the Black Sticks at that time. 
was never really a regular, was sort of always sort of on the fringe. So I would sort of play games and then miss out and sort of in and out of the squad. I was always as well. So not like one of the stars of the uh, – no, no. I mean, not not at that time. I mean, you're looking at the, the Gemma Flynn's, you're looking at – I've the, heard of her, yeah. Yeah, you know. Um, the Harrison girls. Yeah, the Harrison girls, Kayla Sharlin, things like yeah, that. Yeah. Emily Naylor that were just absolute proper legends of, of women's hockey at the time. So I was certainly just some – you know, someone that filled in. <laughs> the, the, the cricket girl. Yeah, the cricket the girl. Swanning away back oh, in. So, did you make it to the games? Did you make it to the 2012 London games? No. So, sore point. Well, it was, mm. but it was also a really big learning curve for me. Is you know, I, I did all that training with my ass off. I've never been as fit or as you know ready to go. And I remember the selection time came around for naming the Olympic squads. They cut it down. I think we must have been. I made the initial squad. I think it was of 24. But they cut it down to 16 for the games because that's all you can take. And yeah. I think it's travelling reserves as well. And I remember going in, sitting with the coach, um, and he was pretty black and white. He said, look, unfortunately it came down to a flip of a coin between you and another girl and it didn't fall you away, so you're not going. Were you like, well, can we do best of three? <laughs> yeah, maybe paper, scissors, rock or something. Who, who was the other girl? Um, oh, I actually don't know anymore. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've pushed it so far back in my mind. Yeah, was that, heart, was that heartbreaking at the time? It didn't sink in. I couldn't register that everything that I'd done, like I'd moved away from home, I was living in Auckland, yeah. I was training two, three, four times a day, and then to not get, I guess, the result that you're after, what you'd been working towards, it's pretty hard. Um, yeah, welcome to the real world, Divine. I know, I know. <laughs> a little bit of disappointment. <laughs> Character building. It, it absolutely was, though. <laughs> and so, shit, I, I oh, it sucked. And I was yeah. angry, and I was disappointed, and I was upset, and uh, you know, I, you do, you go through that almost that grief mm, cycle. The stages, sure, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, this is where I was so bloody lucky. So I missed out on that, and the Black Six Skills left, obviously for for the games and whatnot. And I got a phone call from Gary Stead, who was the coach of the White Fins at the time. He said, "Hey, look, sorry about the hockey, not really." Um, <laughs> Secretly happy. <laughs> yeah, we can have it back. <laughs> we've um, we've got a T20 World Cup in Sri Lanka. Are you interested? Fuck, okay. Well, let's give it a go. So I hadn't played cricket at that stage for about 18 months, so I was like, shit. Rusty. Yeah. I was rusty as. Like I'd sort of done a little bit of training here and there just, you know, to have a bit of fun. But um, that really helped me, I guess, move on from the disappointment of the hockey. And, you know, I think it did. It certainly did teach me a lot about you're not always going to get shit go your way. Yeah, um, resilience and stuff, I yeah, guess. Yeah, so... And um, how did... I, I, can't, I can't remember those games. How did the um, how did the Black Sticks get on? Uh, they finished fourth, fourth in the end. Yeah. <laughs> Were you like... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually <laughs> funny because... And this is how much it sucks. So mum had actually bought tickets to go over. Oh. <laughs> and watch. So I... She says family and stuff. So it was, she was like, oh, don't... You know, it's fine. I can... And I was like, Nah. I want to actually come too, so I actually did remember. Oh, you were there? Yeah, so I actually oh, cool. watched a couple of the games. And it was well, I suppose, yeah, I mean, I joked before about how you must have been happy that they didn't win a medal, <laughs> but they're your friends, right? Oh, and that's the thing. I saw day in, day out the hard work that went into, you know, what made them such a good team. Um, so it was pretty – it was a, a weird feeling, like it was special to be there and to see them, but it was also a little bit heartbreaking to think, fuck, I wish I could be on the other side of the pitch, you know, helping them out there. But, um, yeah, I guess that was a pretty cool experience to be able to go over there you know, catch a couple of the games and say hello to the girls and, um, yeah, I guess catch up with family as well on the other other side of it. But Yeah. yeah. And are there any – you have to excuse my ignorance about sports, but are there any sort of um, interchangeable skills between, like, hockey and cricket? 
parallels between the two? Yeah, well, I was certainly the fittest I've ever been coming out of that hockey program back into the cricket, right. which had massive advantages in terms of, I mean, we yeah, played at a World Cup in Sri Lanka where it was just fucking hot. It's hot <laughs> and sweaty and you're pouring out and you're obviously wearing all black pants and and stuff. So so that was a massive benefit as well. And obviously the hand-eye coordination is, is yeah. a massive, I guess, correlation between the two sports and I think has been really helpful for me. But like bowling and cricket is one of the most unco, weird, stupid things that you could ever decide to do. Like whoever came up with this is what you do, you're going to run in full tit and absolutely <laughs> wang this ball down while contorting your arms and legs everywhere. Yeah. Like what a fucking dick that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was probably the, the most challenging thing for me was getting my body right for that because you'd have like, I remember waking up and Armpits real fucking sore, thinking, how the hell is my armpit sore and what the hell is this right glute sort of – so it was just getting back used to just the, the differences with the, the muscles that you use and stuff. But, um, so what's the ball or are you? Are you, are you fast? I try to be fast. Right, right. But, um, yeah. What do you mean you try? Well, it depends. If we're playing at the Basin Reserve and yeah. there's a gale force and I'm bowling downwind, then I'm, then I'm rapid. But if yeah. I'm bowling into it, right, right, I'm right. struggling to get the ball down the other I end. I feel like you're being modest. Um, why didn't you become a spinner? So you can oh. uh, just do like three three paces. I know. That's getting very close nowadays, actually. I, I do these days where I'm at the top of my run-off and think, why am I doing this? Yeah. But, um, no, I've always enjoyed bowling and, and the challenge that that brings. So, um yeah, it obviously takes a bit of a toll on your body. Yeah, because you're, so you're considered an all-rounder, but you're um, you're more of a batsman, would it be fair to say? You're a big hitter, right? Yeah, probably more of a batter nowadays, but, yeah. but bowling's always been sort of my first love in cricket. Of, right, has it? Yeah. Why is that? That's just because what I always used to do. Like, growing up, I never got a bat because... Oh, you never got the boys out. I so never got the boys out because yeah. I was so shit. <laughs> um, but, but even with my brother and stuff, like, they'd always bat all day, so I just wouldn't, so I'd just bowl and bowl and bowl. Right. And I just loved it. I loved the challenge of trying to get people out, and especially playing at boys' cricket. Like, again, this is where I think it helped me massively is, especially as we got older and the boys started to shoot up with puberty and whatever else, is I was sort of level with them in terms of speed and stuff. And then they just shot them. They just got massive and, you yeah, know, they could yeah. whack me whenever they wanted to. So then I had to learn, well, how am I going to get them out? If I can't, you know, absolutely blast through them because I'm not as quick as anyone else anymore, well, I have to be a bit smarter. And at that stage, you know, teenage boys probably weren't the most – switched on at times and so I guess deception for me and changes of pace and variations of how I bowled the ball became really important. Um, That's, how did you learn that? Is that something you, you, like your dad suggested to you? Or yeah, and did it's, you, yeah, yeah, wow. it would be, yeah. And just, like a strategy game? Yeah, pretty much and having to outsmart them because I wasn't as strong or as big and I couldn't bowl as quick so I had to, you know, use something else to... Just trying to think how that would, how that works. What do you it's, mean? Um, I, I played cricket until I was 14 and I was very, very useless. I loved the sport so much, but I was terrible at all aspects of the game. But I'm thinking you play each ball as it comes. So, so how, do you, like, how do you deceive someone? I guess change of pace is a big one. Yeah. So for me, varying your pace, going from, a, a, I guess, a you know, normal pace on delivery, which let's say might be 110 k's an hour. So then you might drop it down to a 90 k an hour the next ball. Right. So the better... Th- just assumes that you're going to bowl the same pace ball next time. So yeah. they'll be through their shots. They might miscue it or mistime it, sort of things like that. So it was figuring out things like that around how can I change my pace? What do I need to do with how I hold the ball? Or what do other players do? You know, I used to, and this is where I think kids these days don't watch enough cricket and learn. And like I'd spend weekends just going down with dad while he played and watching him play with all his old mates and going through their gear bags and, oh, what's this bat feel like? Or, oh, I like these cricket pads, you know, 
I was just obsessed with it and I loved it. So I was always just trying to learn and pick up little things. My brother was a leg spin bowler, which is probably the hardest, I guess, form of bowling to do in terms of control and stuff like that. So having to face him when I did get a bat, um, you know, you're just learning things all the time and I guess Mm. being able to take that into, yeah, when I was younger and having to use other skills, it was... That is so smart. Like, oh, so I'm guessing at the level you're at now, this is like a common a common mm. thing that a lot of people do, but at, at sort of school and age group, no one's doing that. Yeah, oh, I think there certainly were people that were doing it. I guess for me, though, they probably didn't expect a female to be doing it or a young girl to be doing it. So, right. um, yeah, again, I think that just probably sped up my development a little bit is having to find other ways of, of dismissing mm. batters because I couldn't just do it with outright pace. Yeah. So, um, okay, so you get that call from Gary Stead um, after the disappointment of the Olympics. So you're, you're playing T20. Is that your first time playing T20? Nope. So no. I played for a fair while before that. So obviously, right. um, yeah, T20's been massive for the women's game. Yeah. Um, you've been one of the stars, right? Like you've had some outstanding innings. I think I've just been really lucky that I've played a lot of it. Um, so we went through a really, I guess, golden patch with the White Ferns through 2009, 2010, where we played in two T20 World Cups and a one-day World Cup, and we came second in all of them. <laughs> um, but to be able to have that experience of playing in finals and things like that was was massive. So it was cool to be able to jump back into it. T20 cricket's awesome. Like, mm. I think it's a great vehicle for the women's game in terms yeah. of getting people along and, um, you know, bit of a shorter format, which people can sort of stayed a bit more tuned into rather than the 50-over cricket, which can drag on for some people. And I oh, no, I, I, I love the one-days. 50-overs is great. Test matches, though, you've lost me. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm a little bit the same. Yeah, are you? Yeah, and that's, like, when I go and talk to kids, you know, I do ask them, well, what do you think about, oh, it's too long, it's too boring. <laughs> and, do you know what I mean? I say, I agree. I think sometimes cricket's really boring, especially when nothing's going on and it's just like, pfft. You know, I see kids making daisy chains and I was one of those kids that was doing handstands and cartwheels mm. out on the boundary because I wasn't touching the ball for half an hour. So um, I get it. I completely understand. Yeah. And even now, that's why you've got to challenge yourself and make it fun because cricket can be a shitty hard sport, yeah. which can be really lonely and isolating. Um, but it can also be the best time of your life, hanging out with mates, you know, travelling the world, playing yeah. a game that you love. So, yeah. Absolutely. And um, by the way, I knew I had some stats written down on my on my sheet here. Uh, you're the first player to score six consecutive fifties, um, a half century in T20 off eighteen balls, which is fucking it's insane. And um, fastest century in T20, hundred off thirty six balls. Yeah. So you, you can't you can't tell me it's just been lucky or anything like that. Like you've you've just been outstanding. You're a, a superb big hitter. Yeah, and again, I think that's probably just. Lucky how I was brought up in mm. terms of always being around boys and the power game and the hockey and things like that. That it probably wasn't something until a little bit later on in my life where I was able to focus on my batting because I'd always bowled so much and yeah. batting was sort of a, a bit of an afterthought. So certainly when I got the opportunity and you know it came through injuries that I couldn't really bowl too much, so I had to focus on my batting. But um, it's a real challenge for me and something that I've really enjoyed is this perception of women's cricket that oh, you can't hit boundaries, you can't hit sixes, it's not powerful, you're not like the men's. And it's like, well, we actually are. Um, you just, one, probably have never watched a women's game before, but I also think that's what makes women's cricket really good to watch is absolutely, I love watching men's cricket, but you can see these guys just flip their wrists and they're smacking balls 80 or 90 <laughs> metres and you're just thinking, fuck me, like, it's incredible, but women don't have that power. Yeah, and I'm, yeah. you know, 
But we've got to, again, find ways around that. So you see the female game having to be a lot more thoughtful or a lot more, you know, um, skillful in terms of how they manipulate the ball around the around the ground. Or there are definitely power players now, and it's certainly mm. getting a lot more with the professionalism of the game. Girls are getting bigger and stronger. Mm. They can clear the rope, and we yeah. are starting to do it more and more often. And those those days that I mentioned before, like the fastest century, fastest half century, um, what was happening on those days? You just have days where you just in like a in running you call it like a flow state where you just yeah. everything is it sort of like that? Hundred percent like that. And that's the thing. People say, "Well, why don't you just do that all the time?" <laughs> it's like asking you, like, "Why don't you just run like that all the time?" Yes, some, some, yeah. Some days you just feel like shit, and uh, yeah. some days you just don't. You don't get to that comfortable. Yeah, is it the same mm. with cricket? Is it? Hundred percent, it is. And I guess that's the challenge: is how do you find that consistency mm. when some days yeah you feel like a million bucks, and other days you don't. So on those occasions, it was. It was literally like. I don't know what was different to any other day. Just the ball just seemed bigger. Just the ball seemed bigger. And I remember mm. that one, the first century, which was a couple of years ago down in Dunedin. And I'd actually just got out of quarantine. <laughs> um, so I hadn't had any training or anything. And I remember just rocking up to that game. I'm like, fuck it, I don't care. Like, what's <laughs> the worst that can happen? <laughs> do you know what right? I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so it almost took pressure off. I was like, well, I haven't had a ball. I've got no expectation on me because I haven't had the training that these other girls have had. So I'm just going to go out and swing from my tits pretty much. And mm. Again, lucky that, you know, I'm, there is a bit of skill to it, but I don't want to count myself out. But do you know what I mean? It was that mentality where I was just yeah. like, well, what's the worst that can happen? And it came off for me that day. And I also know that there's days where it doesn't come off. Mm. That's, that's cricket. That's sport. Yeah. Have, have you ever been in like a, a, a slump of any length of time? Yep. We, yeah, really? For how long? <laughs> oh, heaps. Yeah. And they yeah. all sort of vary in, in duration, I guess. Um and it's a shitty thing, whether it's just for cricket or it's all sport, but it seems the worse you perform, the harder you try, which sometimes makes it even worse, and you just mm. keep digging a hole. And I remember recently, actually, a couple of, well, only a year or two ago, I was in that slump, and I just didn't matter what I did, I just felt like I didn't know how to play cricket. And, I mean, it didn't help. My mental state probably wasn't great either, and it was all sort of a bit of a downward spiral, and I remember... We had a game against England, actually here at this stadium. And I remember we got, we're in the change rooms getting ready for the national anthems. And I remember going and grabbing our manager at the time and just bawling my eyes out. I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I'm scared to go out there on that pitch and play. Why were you scared? Just because you hadn't been playing well. I hadn't been playing well. The expectation, the pressure I was putting on myself. I thought I was letting people down. I was embarrassed. I was, I just, couldn't hack it and I was thinking mm. how the fuck am I supposed to lead this group of women out onto the pitch when I feel like absolute you know dirt on the road and how am I supposed to get myself up so you know manager was was awesome and you know one step at a time and I remember walking out to the national anthem like tears and the rest of the girls are like what the hell mm. and it was horrific and that's where cricket is such a shitty space because it's the one sport where you're playing in a team but it's such individual focus. So individual, yeah, absolutely it is. Mm. Like any any weakness or flaw is exposed. Oh, and it's, especially out in there, you're in the middle of this huge stadium. Yeah, no, like nowhere to hide. Nowhere to hide, it's all on you. Yeah, so. that's true, and every aspect of the game, whether you're bowling or fielding or batting or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> so it... Was, what, what was that? Was that like a like a, an anxiety attack, a panic attack? or? Yeah, it's probably a little bit of both, so I reckon yeah. that had probably... Um, that had been building for a while, I reckon. Probably, 
yeah, over the course of 12 months, I think, looking back at that time, and that was sort of right in the thick of COVID. So we were doing a shitload of quarantines. I think at that stage I'd done three or four by myself, um, which I'm not sure if you've... I got, to, I got to do it last year, like in December for 10 days. But, uh, yeah, I was talking to um, Jimmy Neesham about this on the podcast, and I forget how many days he's done, but oh. probably a similar amount to you. Yeah. Um, not good. Not good for your mental health, eh? Too much alone time. Too much alone time and not fresh air. And like yeah. I said, you know, running and things like that have been really good for me. But, yeah. you know, going through however many I went through of those, and even when we did go on tour, we were under such strict protocols. Like it was literally you're either in your hotel room, we are at the cricket ground training, and then – straight back and that was it and that was you know three or four week tours at a time where you couldn't go out for a coffee you couldn't leave the hotel and I think that certainly added to it is that isolation and that like fuck it does your head in so just a whole cumulative effect you're building up to that moment you think building up to that all that you know and everyone was going through it with COVID in their their different ways and and I think for me performance wise I wasn't performing the team wasn't performing there was pressure coming in you know from the outside and I did. I cracked. So I think I made it to. Um, I can't remember if it was that same series or not. It might have been. It's actually the next series against Australia, and we were in Napier. And I actually haven't told too many people this, but we had sort of like I guess like our captains run. So sort of day before training, or sometimes the morning if we're playing at night time, we'll go and just have a have a hit. You know, check the pitch out and check the pitch. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Out and just sort of feel good and things like that. And at this stage, I was not in a great space at all. Um, and I remember going to this next session. I remember actually talking to the coach before, being like, I'm not sure whether I should go or not because I'm in such a shithead space. I'm scared that it might not be a good thing. And he's yeah. like, Well, no, no, let's go. And, you know, it might help you, you know, being in a familiar. And I remember getting there and I was just like, What am I doing here? And I remember facing up and he was throwing, giving me throwdowns and things. And I just had tears down my eyes and I was sobbing and, Teammate was in the other net, being like, "Again, what's going on here?" Like, and she, did she say what's going on, or no, could you tell she was just thinking, "What's going on?" She's, I yeah, could just tell, yeah. and and the coach as well was sort of like, "Oh, you know, you're not, you're hitting it fine," and I was like, "It's nothing fucking to do with how I'm hitting the ball. Like, I can't be here." And I remember he he threw one, and I I reckon I threw my bat, and I just walked out, tears streaming down my face, and I just walked, I reckon a hundred meters down the other side of the field, and I just sat there and I cried for about thirty, forty minutes. And I was just thinking, I can't do this. I don't want to be here. This is the last place I want to be. And I remember breaking down. I remember getting back to the hotel, and I pretty much 
again, this sounds bizarre saying it now, but I literally hid under a desk and just cried. That's a breakdown. Massive breakdown. Yeah, I remember yeah. calling the manager and being like, you need to come here. <clears throat> and that from that point, you know, um, it was all a little bit of a blur. Um, I'd worked pretty closely with a psychologist that was with the team and with New Zealand Cricket who had built a really good relationship with and having conversations with her. And, again, this shows how bizarre my headspace at the time. I was like, I can't leave. I've got to, I've got to play. I've just got to play. I'll, I'll be fine. Like, I've just got to keep going. It, it'll be fine. I, I need to play. I need to stand up for the team. I need to, you know, put on this, this brave act. I'll just keep playing. Yeah. And she was like, look, you can't. Mm. You actually can't. Like, you're doing some serious damage by even thinking that you can. And it, it just couldn't. I just couldn't work it out in my head. I was like, well, no, no, I'll be fine. Like, I'm just going to keep going, and this is what I've always done. It's cricket. I'll be fine sort of thing. And I was really lucky. Um, had sort of the, the Players Association reps come and have a chat to us and was, you know, offered all the support and stuff. And then one of the assistant coaches of the team literally dragged me out of my room, got me in a car, and we just drove. <laughs> I don't know how long it was for, but we just um, we just drove. Um, and he just tried to distract me and by the end of that car ride um, the decision was made that I wasn't going to play the next day. I think, um, I don't actually know what they told the media or whatever else, but I I wasn't available and obviously all the girls were really concerned but they sort of gave me that space. Um, Again, I still didn't want to leave. Even the next 24, 48 hours I didn't want to leave because I felt like I was abandoning the girls. I was leading the team down. I was the captain. I was like, captain's can't do this and you know this is almost a bit embarrassing in a sense that I feel like I'm giving up um so I was adamant <laughs> to the rest of the support staff that I was like no I want to stay with the group like it might get better I might be okay and we had a couple of days in between we went up to, to Mount Monganui for the next game and again it was really slow process small steps and they were like right well let's let's just take you to the training ground let's just see how you go Again, literally, I put on my cricket spikes, broke out in tears. God, the, the mind is a strange thing, isn't it? Such a complex muscle. I just, it was just really scary, I think, because... What, what was it? Did you just lose your confidence? Everything. And I was in such a deep hole. And I mean, I've, I've, I've had depression before, and this was certainly, um, I felt in the pits of it. I was seriously in a dark space, and... I think it was so scary for me because cricket and sport in general has always been such an important part yeah, of my life. Yeah, it's a cornerstone. Yeah, and it's what I do, and I've always felt so comfortable. Mm. But to then have that environment, that space, feel so threatening and so um, intimidating and that I can't yeah. even be there, it's like, well, what do I do now? And that's the, the real overwhelming f- feeling I had. I was like, well, what do I do now? I, I don't know what else to do. If I'm not playing cricket, I'm not playing I don't know what to do. And that's why I think I was scared of leaving that environment. As, as in it sort of defines you? Or a little bit, such I think. A, or because it's such a, such a big part of your life. Such a big part of my life. Yeah, and because yeah. I'd never really experienced anything else <clears throat> apart from playing sport, and that's why I think I didn't want to leave partly, was because well, I don't know what I'm going to mm. do. What do I do if I'm not training or yeah. playing and things like that? And again, it took a, a lot of convincing for me to leave the environment. Is this, is this when, because uh, this was quite well documented, you had like a two-month 
mental health break. Is this was this the beginning of that? Mm, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, and you, you, yeah, you, I've read some interviews with you, and you talk about how good the coach was, and you treated it like no different to how you treat a physical injury, yeah. which is absolutely the right way to handle it. Oh, massively, yeah. and I mean. I certainly think around that time as well. I mean, I think about the Olympics and Simone Biles and what she was going yeah, through as yeah. well. And it's certainly become a lot more public. Naomi Osaka as yeah, well the with the player. tennis. Yeah. Um, and it was. I think the support I had made such a big difference. I think about some of the people that aren't so lucky that mm. don't have that sort of support around them. And like I said, I work really closely with psych. And being able to, to get back on medication and things like that has certainly helped me on that journey out of it. But it was just shit it was really scary it was um it did it took a bit of time to to come right and again the great thing with the support I had from New Zealand Cricket and the Players Association was there's no timeline here like if this takes five years it takes five if it takes five months whatever it's there's no pressure on you to come back and again that was a scary thing because it's like well I'm not ready to give up but I'm also scared of what what if this happens again like what if I get Mm. into the middle and I break down and I you know what happens, and, and was part of you worried because obviously you know you're a ver- you're a very talented cricketer. But was part of you worried that that you know they may not have you as captain again because they're scared you won't be tough enough? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was certainly on my mind as well. Was I'm supposed to be the captain? You're supposed to be the leader. You're supposed mm. to, in my sense, my you know, is, you're supposed to be able to hack it. Yeah, you're supposed to be a role model and a leader. And again, I felt embarrassed that shit. Maybe I can't do this. Maybe I'm not cut out for it maybe it's not for me but certainly coming through the other side of it I think it's given me an incredibly valuable perspective oh 100% like make you a better captain oh it's made me a better person has it yeah how so I think that empathy I think if you would have asked me a couple of years ago about depression and things like that I would have been like oh I don't really get it like I don't understand how can you be sad or how can you not want to <laughs> how can you not want to get out of bed? Like I don't really get yeah, it. Yeah. Whereas now I'm like, fuck, I can understand if you don't brush your teeth for two weeks. Mm. I get it. I understand that. And to me to have that, I guess, perspective having been through it myself is I do get it and being able to be open to talk about it with teammates or other people has been so valuable for me. And, you know, unfortunately Mealy Kerr, who's in the team, a youngster, had a bit of time away from the game as well. Uh, last year, I think it was, um, Mr. Toro as well. Um, like, I never want players to miss any cricket or any tour or any opportunity, but after going through what I went through, your mental health is mm. the most important thing. I don't care what anyone says, is you've got to look after yourself first. I don't care if you're whatever, I honestly, and I will fight tooth and nail for that person if coaches or support staff aren't backing it, I will absolutely back them up and say, you need to look after yourself first because absolutely I love cricket and it's given me a lot, but fuck me, it's not the be-all and end-all and that's yeah. you know a pretty powerful perspective to have. Jeez, that's why you're a good captain, eh? Even a, yeah, I agree, probably even a, a better captain now. Um, I'd like to think so, but I'm still learning. <laughs> oh, we all are. The day, the day you stop learning, that's the day it's time to Yeah, hang undergo. it up. Yes, but it has. It's been really cool, especially like, Recently, I mean, we've had a whole crop of new, new young players coming into the group, and it's that's been so refreshing because it's like, shit, remember what I was like when I was them, 17, 18 year <laughs> Not saying a in, word. Not saying a word, yeah, scared yeah. to, you know, look them in the eye or anything like that. And it does, it's sort of that perspective again. It's, 
you know, I could be a, an absolute bitch and, you know, pick up my gear bag and, <laughs> you know, clean the shit off my shoes sort of thing. But um, Do it, do yeah, it. <laughs> I know that's not going to get the best out of my teammates and the best out of the players. So, yeah, um, and also it's just not you as a person. No, and I think, you know, I'd get chopped down pretty quickly from mates around me. They'd be like, stop being an absolute knobsack. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, pull, pull your head in sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I think I've just been really fortunate with the, the support I've had around me. Yeah. Actually, there's, um, you may have already seen this, but on, on Netflix there's a documentary series called Untold. Um, and there's a, there's a story on there about a tennis player called Marty Fish who was like um, – Yes. Yeah, and he, he was um, – I'm going to get the information incorrect, but he was, um, he made like the, I think the quarterfinal of the US Open was facing like, uh, Nadal or Federer or one of those guys and just couldn't go out. Same sort of thing as you. Mm. Oh, have you watched that? You watched that I episode? I think I have watched that one yeah. actually, which is unbelievable, isn't it? Because you look at it from the outside and you think, what, what's going on? Yeah, like, the, this, this is the game. biggest. So he, yeah, he forfeited the match. Which is unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, like the match of a lifetime. Yep. And mm. again, having been through, I, I get it. And I'm sure he would have copped so much shit for that. But it's like, unless you know what it's like, yeah. and everyone's journey is different. I'm not saying I knew, know what he went through, but you get it. And again, it's a game. Yeah, it's a game that we love doing, and it might be a job, but it's a game. It's not mm. more important than your life. So how did you, how did you come right? How, like, yeah. So so you're in, you're in the um, the dark place. How long did it, how long did it take to sort of see the light again? Uh, I was probably a good couple of months. Yeah. So I literally fled the country. <laughs> um, Where'd you go? I went to Australia. Um, I spent a fair bit of time over there, so I, I I literally just switched off from everyone and anything that was a connection to New Zealand, to cricket and things like that. Um, and it was hard. It was a real um, rebuild almost, as I had to just take my time with it, that there was no guidelines, there was no guidebook to be like, right, this is what you do on day one and this is what you do, that it was, I'm just going to have to see how I feel. And yeah. um, it certainly took a good couple of months to feel a bit more like myself. There's a lot of nerves around getting back into cricket again. Um, but I knew it was something that I wanted to do. And Was it nerves getting back into cricket because you're scared that like it was cricket that potentially brought this on? Um, yes and no. Yeah. Like I think it was probably a couple of different things. It was absolutely I was scared about going back into the cricket environment in case it did trigger me off again. And that, mm. that was, I guess, yeah, the trigger. There was the nerves around how people would see me. And that be like, oh, here's you know that wuss that had to back out because she couldn't hack it and she can't handle high performance sport. And it's you know then there's the pressure I put on myself is what if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not able to hack it? You mm. know that that was almost the worst. Part. Yeah, but you, you you'd done enough to know that you are. Yeah, but again, the mind, yeah, like, yeah, what it can tell you and the power of it is unbelievable. So it was, it was, yeah, there were a lot of nerves around it. But again, I had so much incredible support working with Sykes and, you know, mental skills and um, family and friends and, and medication as well for me was really important to help me, I guess, it almost just, I felt like it gave me um, a bit of a head start to, to get on top of things again. Right, right. You're still on uh, the meds now? Still on the meds now. Yeah, do you think it'll be like a lifetime thing? Potentially. Yeah. And that's again, um, I think early on, this is sort of the second time that I've been on medication and that... Um, I remember before I jumped on, I was sort of like, oh, I don't want to be on these crazy pills. Like, again, <laughs> that um, perception of them, isn't it? It's like, mm. shit, I don't want to be on antidepressants because what are people going to think? And, oh, no, I can figure it out by myself. I don't need that. But certainly my, my whole mindset has changed. If it's going to help me be a better person yeah. and, and help me feel better, then 
why would I not take them? And Absolutely. I'm not saying medications for everyone and it's not, again, this is a really important thing that I guess the support around me was it's not going to be a silver bullet. It's not going to help you fix everything and you're going to be fine when you take it. There's a lot of work that goes in around it and that's always been really central to me moving forward is absolutely medication's part of it but it's also going for your running, playing golf, doing yoga, time away from cricket, you know, those things are, are all part of my, my strategies, strategies yeah, to yeah. help me, you know, um, be functioning at the level I need to be. Yeah, and um, how's your how's your inner critic now? Are you right? Yeah, yeah, it yep. is. Oh, and it, and that's always going to be a challenge for me. Is yeah. I don't think it ever goes away. Um, you certainly have times. I get why it's called the black dog or the black clouds or whatever mm. else because it does. There's times where it feels like shit. Here it comes again. I can feel it. But I think having that awareness now of um, knowing what it's like and looking for those red flags and talking to people about it is a big one. Um, it is a really important part for me. Um, and going back to those strategies, and I think it's so easy that you just slip into, oh, it'll be a riot. Or, but it is. It might be going for a walk. Or it might be catching up with someone outside of your cricket environment or whatever it is. So, um, again, that's going to be an ongoing thing. Yeah. And I'm not always going to get it right. And I hope I don't end up in that space again, but I also might end up in that space again. And mm. that's... Okay, and, and if it happens, then that happens. Because you've got more sort of self-awareness now, I suppose. If you were heading down that sort of road, you, you know, you, you might be more aware and be able to do something about it yeah. before it gets gets to that point again. Yeah, well, that's certainly, I guess, the ideal. Yeah. Um, but again, I know that sometimes it isn't always as straightforward and simple as that. So, yeah, it's, it's life, though, and I know that there's so many people out there that are struggling and um, how important talking is about is, you know – such a big, big first step for a lot of people. It's massive, eh? Just showing that vulnerability. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and that's something in sports in particular. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's there's that mentality. Oh, you hard stuff. Kiwi <laughs> thing as well. You know, what I mean? like toughen up. We don't need to talk about it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I think we're we're people first and foremost. We're not we're not cricketers, not athletes. We're people that play cricket. Yeah. So it's really distinguishing between the two because especially like I think about these young ones coming through and the different sort of pressures that they're going to be put under. I think about social media and I'm like, fuck, I'm so glad I didn't have that as well. And like, I'll tell you a funny example. So the recent World Cup for us, I think we just lost to, I think it might have been South Africa or, or England, a really close game. And we have a, a bit of a ritual where we just come together after the game and we just spend a bit of time together as a team, you know. And I remember scrolling through and thinking, here we go. A couple of people have slid into my, you know, well, this isn't word for word, but you are so shit. You are a match fixer. How dare you be captain of New Zealand? You are the worst person ever. And it's just who like, was it? I don't know. Just some troll account. Some or? troll account that, and you know, and all of a sudden, all the other girls are chirping up. Oh, what about this one? You are so fucking shit. Where did you learn to bowl? Like you are a disgrace to this country. So you, you're all sitting, sitting there comparing. <laughs> we're all sitting there and we're all having a laugh because we're like, what absolute assholes are sitting there sending this to – and we're, you know, we're absolutely gutted. You know, we've lost the game, whatever else. But to be able to share that – and this is weird, isn't it? To th- but we're all there to be able to share that and support each other and, you know, try and outdo each other with the worst absolute sledge on our phones. But f- some of the shit, eh? It's unreal. Unbelievable. Whenever, whenever I get things like that um, – when you when you work in radio, like on a big mainstream station, people can text in all the time, and uh, we receive some awful, awful messages. And I, I'd sit there and think, um, 
think of th- like maybe, maybe 20 or 30 people I know, family and friends, and would they ever send a message to someone they don't even know writing something so horrible? And I can't, I can't think of anyone in my life that would do that. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I got to the point towards the end where uh, I, I was able to take a more empathetic view and think, what's that person got going on in mm. their life? Like to be that miserable or that upset about someone they don't even know. It's just sad, isn't it? I yeah, think like you say, really take a step back that they're mm. willing to spend the time <laughs> to send messages <laughs> like that. It's just but savage. It, it is sad, but I think I'm in a position where I can laugh at it. But I think about some poor 18 year old kid that you know might not mm. have had the best day, and they're getting absolutely slammed by some. Yeah, that's the thing. Or, or yeah, you, you when you were going through a bad patch. It's yeah, um, yeah you never know what someone's going through when they're going to open and read that. Yeah, exactly. So I think, again, that's part of this, our team environment now is that we are really open and that we can share that and saying, I've got this really shit message today. You know, whether we have a laugh about it or whether we do something more serious about it, I think that's really important to, to have that sort of environment where you can talk about it and, yeah, share it because it can, you know, getting a couple of those messages, you know, can really grind your gears. Mm. Have you sort of found since you, you've been um, more open about your mental health struggles that um, yeah, other girls in the team have been you know, able to speak up? Have you sort of, you, I suppose you've sort of established that platform in a way? Yeah, I think so. And I think that was, I guess, it sounds weird that I call it, you know, special and, and good thinking of other people going through hard times. But I, I think I'm really proud of myself, like when Melee was going through stuff and being able to reach out to her and being able to spend a bit of time with her, whereas I'm not sure if that would have happened if I hadn't gone through what I went through and being able to just be there and to, and to listen and just to – I remember we were just down shooting some hoops, do you know what I mean? Just mm. being able to spend time because I remember going through it that um, people can be really scared about what – they don't know what to say or they don't know what to do. And I guess for me, just to be able to go down there and, and kick a ball around or shoot some basketball – sort of thing, that, that is sometimes all you need to do. Yeah. So, again, I think that's that learning piece for me is sometimes there isn't the right thing to say. Just be there, eh? Just be there yeah. and, and be an ear to listen to. And um, So, yeah, again, always learning and always hoping that people can feel comfortable but also understand that some people aren't ready for that yet. Mm. But when they are, hopefully they know that my door's always open and, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Open for it. And the, I mean, the, the more the more people speak about it, the more people realise, okay, what I'm going through is not abnormal. Everyone's dealing with shit yeah. to different degrees. Oh, and that's again one of the crazy things is when I was going through it, is you do you feel like you're the only person in the world ever that has ever gone through anything like that. And once you do start speaking about it, oh no, I've felt like that before, and you know I've really struggled in different times, and it is. It's again, it's a weight off thinking. I'm not some crazy person that's mm. only been the person to ever go through it. So, again, the power of being able to share that with yeah. someone almost takes a little bit out of the heat out of it, which is... Oh, so normal. Man, yeah. I just looked at the clock. We've been, we've been going for an hour and we're scratching the surface of the life of Sophie Devine. Oh, my God. Um, oh yeah, we haven't even, haven't even talked about your type 1 diabetes yet. So you, you were diagnosed um, with type 1 when you were 15? 15. 15. Yeah. So what does that mean exactly? Pardon my ignorance. Um, so Is that where you have to inject yourself with insulin every yep, every day. Yep, yeah, so I've got my little pack with me that comes with me everywhere. So pancreas pretty much has shed itself. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I have to inject insulin every day. Um, test blood sugar levels on my fingers again, seven, eight, nine times a day. You're joking. Little little um, little little, prick little on finger the... pricks. Yeah, although at the moment I'm lucky. So I've got a little sensor and that sort of does it for me. Which technology is amazing. It's yeah. changed a lot in, in my I guess couple of years dealing with it. Um, so does the thumb thing hurt? 
Nah, you get used to it. Yeah, um, nine times a day, I bet you do. So, yeah. Oh, and again, that's just been another challenge and I think about the support and I still I remember the day that I was diagnosed, went down to the local GP. Um, I remember I'd, I had all the classic symptoms, so I lost a shitload. Of, I reckon I lost about 10 kilo in a month. I was drinking, like, ridiculous amounts of water, eating more than my older brother, like, all the symptoms. And I remember hounding my mum about it, and she still gets a bit upset about this because she blames herself for not picking it up sooner. Um, but I remember hounding being like, Mum, you know, if something's going on. She's like, oh, you've probably just got a bladder infection. Piss it out. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sort of thing. Um, and I remember it got to a point where I walked into class one day and I was like, I can't even see the board. Like, I'm, I'm just blurred vision. Just blurred vision. Yeah. And I was like, I've never had a problem with my eyes. And I was like, Mum, there's actually something. Can we? And she was like, oh, fuck, fine. You know, <laughs> drag my ass down. And literally within about 10 minutes, the doctor was like, look, we think you've got type 1 diabetes. We just need to check things out. We'll send you to the hospital. I remember walking out of the GP's office and me and mum got back into the car just parked outside and we just both went whoosh, yeah. just bawling our eyes out thinking, what the fuck, is this going to change? Yeah, that, that age, I suppose, it probably feels like a death sentence in a way. Oh, and I didn't know anything about diabetes. Like, I had an uncle that had it, but, I mean, I wasn't, you know, that switched on about it. So mm. here I was thinking, I'm never going to be able to play sport again. I'm never going to be able to have lollies and ice cream. My life is over. <laughs> <laughs> um but, you know, I think back and we cried for 10, 15 minutes and then mum, right, okay, we've done our crying now, let's learn as much as we can, we're going to deal with it and we, that's it. And literally that was it. We got back home, packed the bag, we were off to hospital overnight and from that point in time we've really made a point of not using it as an excuse or shying away from anything and, and I was super lucky. I reckon two or three weeks later I was playing at an age group hockey tournament ringing the diabetes specialist, 6.30 in the morning every day. How much do I need to inject? My blood sugar's doing this. What can I eat? So I Just while you're learning the ropes? Just while I'm yeah. learning the ropes. So, um, yeah, it's certainly been a big part of my life. Mm. I think it's helped in certain ways as well, like having to be organised, like I've got to make sure I've got food, <laughs> I've got jelly beans, yeah, I've got, right. you know, and as an athlete you need to be prepared, you need to be planned, you don't know how long training might go for a bit longer, so you might need, you know, that, that fuel. So I think that's certainly helped. Um, and there's still times where I hate it as well. Like I'll, I'll just get sick of it and want to be done with it, but I also know that it's it's with me probably for the rest of my life. Um, and I was really lucky a while ago. I used to work closely with, with Diabetes New Zealand and, and just going and speaking with families and kids and teenagers in particular and the amount of times parents would come up to me and be like, oh, I'm so scared about you know my boy playing sports. I don't want him to to have a hypo or collapse or have a go into a coma or anything. And I'm thinking, it's okay. Like, keep playing sport because it's so important in terms of staying active yeah, and, and yeah. things like that. Like, it's such a massive benefit for, for managing your diabetes. So that was really important to me to then be a real role model with anyone with diabetes is to say, it shouldn't stop you. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's, again, bizarre. So we've got two diabetics now. Yeah, you're yeah, Jess Kerr as well. Jess Kerr as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we're having our own lingo about needles and sugar <laughs> levels and probably seem like real druggies and whatever else. But, um, yeah, I think it, it's just breaking down that stigma around what people think diabetes yeah. is and, and stuff like that. But um, So yeah. what, what, what does it mean in terms of diet? Like what what can't you eat? What can't you? I can eat whatever I yeah, want. Yeah. It just means I might have to inject a bit more insulin to, okay. to balance it out. But, again, as an athlete, you want to be eating well anyway. Mm. So I think the two sort of 
in a way go actually quite well. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you, you talked before about um, you know concerned parents not wanting their kids to play sport or not knowing. Has it ever been an issue for you, like when you're out in the oval for, like for a, a very long time? Yeah, like there's been a couple of times where I've um, had a few hypos and things like that, which pretty much means that you just don't have enough sugar in your body, really. Right. So for me, if I get quite low, you know, I'll get the shakes, I'll get tingly tongue, fuzzy mouth. I, vision can sometimes go a little bit. You just feel like crap, really. But it's a quick fix. It's 10, 15 minutes. Um, you know, have a bit of food, you know, a bit of sugar, a bit of carbs, and you can be back out there. And, I mean, I, I've done this before and got it horribly wrong, sort of thinking, playing a game of cricket, actually. And I was like, I'm low. I'll just shove my face with as many jelly beans as I possibly Yum. can, which is great until you're nearly choking on them. And I just ran back out there, and I remember five minutes later, I was like, fuck, I'm still no good here. But I'm like, nah, I'm fine, I'm fine. I was actually, no, I need to go and properly tend to this. So that was sort of a bit of a learning curve for me. Like, you need to <laughs> make sure you get yourself right first um, because you're not going to be much help to anyone if you're cucked out on the floor. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And um, so the next big thing for you is the Commonwealth Games, which is blood. Is this your, so you, you never made it to the Olympics uh, with the, the New Zealand hockey team. Have you? This is your first time to a Commonwealth Games? First time to a Commonwealth Games. Shit. Is this the first time cricket's been a Commonwealth Games sport? It has for... It will be for women. The yeah. men went back in 99. And that was the only time that cricket has been in the Com Games. Right. And how are you guys um, – like, what are your chances? Oh, I think we're, we're in with a shout. Yeah, I think yeah. there's obviously been a fair bit of change the last couple of months. We've got a new coach as well, a fair few new faces in the group. But the great thing about T20 cricket is it's anyone's game. Like, it can take one person to change the the whole outlook on the game. So, look, I'm I'm really confident – I know if we play our best that we'll be in with, you know, a hunt for the medals, which I never thought I'd say that, hunt for the medals. That's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, no, I just absolutely can't wait. It's going to be like, – I love sport and I – so many years just watching the games, watching com games and just fangirling over any New Zealand athlete pretty much. So to be in amongst it is going to be pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of people are weird about the Commonwealth Games, eh? but I bloody love them. I oh, think they're fabulous. I think they're awesome. They're brilliant. And, um, yeah, yeah, it'll be so nice for you, rubbing, rubbing shoulders. G'day, how's it going? Uh, rubbing sh- Someone just opened the door. We're in, like, a, an echoey room at the back of um, Sky Stadium. Have you, have you played here? Do you play cricket here? Occasionally. Yeah. Yeah, I've spent – I don't want to think about how many hours I've spent in those nets through the other room there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the Commonwealth Games, so the, yeah, you, yeah, you being in the Games Village and rubbing shoulders with you know, other elite New Zealand athletes, it'll be a phenomenal experience. Oh, I've got to probably pull my shit together a little bit because I'll probably be that awkward like, <laughs> fangirl when someone, oh my God, sort of. But um, I've been really fortunate actually, sort of the last year or two, have started to build a really good relationship with some of the, the Black Fern Seven skills, so Sarah Hidani and, and Kelly Brazier, and just being able to share knowledge um, mm. being able to share learnings and experiences because at the end of the day yes we might play different sports but a lot of the challenges and things we face are the same it doesn't matter yeah. what code you're playing so to be able to to share stories and you know share conversations with them is something that I really want to push not just female athletes but all Kiwi athletes because that's one of the massive benefits we've got with such a small country everyone knows everyone <laughs> pretty much mm. so why would we not share Share our knowledge and oh, absolutely. share it out. So. Absolutely. And well, how do you, well, how do you, I mean, you, you probably don't, don't see this yourself, but um, other athletes over there will, will be like fangirling over you. I'm not, well, I don't think so, but you never oh, know. But what do you, why don't you think so? I don't know. I just don't think cricket has the same profile as some of the other sports do. Mm. Hopefully it does in the future. Look, yeah. I think about 
Mila Kerr, and I think she could be an absolute, you know, global superstar in the years to come. Um, Was that just because of her talent? Just her talent, yeah, and, yeah. and where the game's going as well. Um, you know, she's probably already a big hit in India and things like that. But uh, certainly, I think back home, she's got the potential. As do a lot of these younger girls coming mm. through. That that cricket can hopefully be one of the most popular sports for females in New Zealand. Yeah, geez, I, th- I, th- you, I mean, you guys have done a lot, like the. Um, the um, the World Cup in March this year. This, this is the fourth one you've been involved with. Yeah, it's the first one in New Zealand. It felt like it was really big this year. Um, do you do you think that's because it was in New Zealand, or do you think that we've just sort of reached a tipping point when it comes to women's cricket? Um, I think it was a bit of both. I yeah. think there's obviously the women's game has been steadily growing for the last couple of years, mm. and and I think I actually saw some stats from the World Cup in terms of broadcast numbers and things, and it's blown everything out of the water in terms of viewership and stuff like that, and fan engagement, which it's unbelievable because a lot of people will think, oh, it's going to come to New Zealand, it doesn't have the same profile, not as big a country, but it, it absolutely smashed it. And I'm so proud of the way yeah. that New Zealand hosted that tournament, especially when you think about all the COVID shit that was going on. So the start of the tournament, there was obviously restrictions on crowds and whatnot to then think about the final between Australia and England, a sold-out Hagley Oval. And I know, look, absolutely, I would have loved to have been there playing for New Zealand in the final, but to see... The New Zealand public get in behind women's cricket and watch one of the best games of fifty over cricket men's or women's ever seen mm. on a you know in a final is unreal. So um, just so extremely proud. Andrea Nelson, who you know was part of the local organising committee, just unreal. Like talking to t- players from other teams and saying how awesome New Zealand is, you know, and how much they enjoyed it. That's what makes me really proud. And, and as well, some of the message that we've got, you know, of, of Family saying thank you so much for taking the time to come and sign my daughter's bat or things like that. Like, I'm fucking gutted that we didn't go further in the tournament, but I'm so proud of how we played and, you know, giving everything to that because, you know, cricket, like sports, such small margins. We win one of those games where we lost, you know, yeah. whether it was the last over or the last wicket or whatever. It's a completely different story and, and the conversation, the narrative's different, but, um, how we held ourselves as a team is something I'm really proud of. Yeah. Oh, and so you should be. So you should be. Yeah, it's 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 uh, yeah, it's a good time, isn't it, for sport? And it's lucky that you've um you've you've, you've been around to experience this. I think I, I consider myself extremely lucky that mm. I've been in both. I guess yeah, phases yeah. that I remember when I first started for the Wellington Women's Team, we got thirty dollars a day for your meal allowance, <laughs> and I'm thinking, fuck yeah, here I am. Three subways. <laughs> That's exactly it, and still now I still, you know, I'm, I'm guilty pleasure is, is going to Subway, but, um, you know, thinking that was a big deal, whereas now, you know, the contracts, girls can play cricket full-time, and that's a job, which... Yeah, is the, is the money, all, money all right? Have you got some of that Indian money? No, we haven't no. yet. Um, we're certainly making some big strides, though. New Zealand cricket have been awesome, but yeah. you've also got to keep perspective that when you compare us to Australia and England, their budgets are yeah. like a hundred times bigger than ours. So, of course, mm. we're not. Our men don't get paid the same as Australian men. Mm. So, for us, it's really important to keep that perspective. But now, the opportunities that are available. So, like I've played over in Australia in the T Twenty League for the last seven or eight years, and and that's been phenomenal. And that's. Mm. Just going from strength to strength, I'm heading over to the UK after Com Games um, and playing in their league, which they're aiming for pay parity within the next year or two, which will be wow. unbelievable. Like I think the guy's top tier is £125,000, which for a couple of week tournament is mind blowing. Yeah, double that. That's like quarter of a mil. Which is ridiculous when I'm thinking $30. <laughs> Food allowance from little old New Zealand. Jeez, how, many, how many subways could you buy with? <laughs> I could almost you know, buy my own franchise. Could be, um, but uh, 
oh, it's just unbelievable, um, I guess, where this game's gone. Even the last six, seven, eight years, you know, from when I first started and you go play out in the shit heaps out, you know, with the paddocks where no one would go watch yeah, you to yeah. playing at Sky Stadium or the Basin Reserve or, you know, at Edgebest and we were at the Com Games. It's, it's those sort of opportunities which are, are so special. Mm, that's so cool. Like the, the the next generation, and it's good that they won't have to experience this. But the next generation won't have to experience you being the only girl on a boys' team, having parents make snide remarks, and you got to experience that, and now this. I know, and it's it is in a, in a way it's bloody lucky. It is. I am very fortunate to have been through the journey that I have been, and like you say, I hope it is better for that next. Mm. crop of girls coming through and I hope it's better for the boys as well I think at the end of the day that was something that, that we we're really passionate as a group with the World Cup is we don't just want to inspire young girls we want to young, inspire young boys yeah, as absolutely. well absolutely yeah because we know that it's so important so um, like the one thing that really does grind my gears though about this new generation coming through <laughs> is we always used to fly economy <laughs> and these little shits now they can barely fit a business class seat if, you know they've got like their feet are swinging from the chair because they can't reach it, and here they are, swanning in, and they get that. But, um, look, it's just some of the progress that's been made. It's certainly very lucky for us. How good. How, how much longer are you going to keep going for? You, you, um, you gave me a ride in from the car park, and you, you told me how many, how many weeks a year you're here in New Zealand. So you've got a room at your sister's house where you basically dump your gear. You're away, like, how many weeks a year? I reckon this year, I've been here quite a bit, actually, but, uh, I'll be lucky to be in New Zealand for two or three months of this year. Yeah, like a quarter of the year. Mm. It's, is that fatiguing? Or have it's, you just done it so long that you just don't even think about it? A bit of both, but again, that's where those strategies become really important is when I am on the road and you're away from home comforts, that making sure that you are still doing those things consistently is really important. So when we leave for the Com Games, the next time I'll be back in New Zealand is end of November. Mm. So um, it can be draining, but it's also... You know, I'm choosing to do this because I love it, and yeah. the opportunities that have been presented to me is, is pretty special. Yeah, have you got, have you got a partner or anyone? It must be hard to hold down a relationship if you. Yeah, I do. I'm, yeah. I'm really lucky that um, they're based in Australia as well, which you know, just to add another whole cricketer. Yep, yep, former cricketer. Really? So um, that certainly helps as well. So is that how you guys met? Yeah, it was actually. So that's you know, again, is the support is just so important, and, and finding time, obviously, to try and spend time. With them is something that's really important. Um, but again, we both know, having been involved in cricket, as we know how fickle the game can be, that you can be tossed out, you know, if you're not performing, you know, in six months' time. Are they still playing or are they... Coaching. Coaching. Yeah, right. yeah. So um, very interesting. It's good getting that perspective of things. Anyone famous? Who is it? What's nah, it? No. No one famous. No. Do you keep this stuff pretty quiet? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. I think private life, I'm, I'm pretty yeah. pretty private. Um, and that's just... Be- how I am. Yeah, yeah. So, How long have you guys been seeing each other? Um, coming up to f- three or four years now, I reckon. Four Shit. years. Yeah. God, there must be a lot of FaceTiming. Oh, too much FaceTiming, mm. and I reckon the actual time we've probably spent in the same room has probably only been about a year or two, and that's probably why we're doing so well, because we actually... <laughs> <laughs> We have that time apart. But. I don't know if that's the basis of a good relationship. <laughs> yeah. or not, don't take relationship advice from yeah. me, that's for yeah. sure. So. God, I suppose you just do have to make it. That must have been hard during the pandemic. Well, luckily I spent a lot of time over there. Okay. So it actually worked out okay. Right. Um, Whereabouts in Aussie? In Perth, yeah. Oh, for fuck's sake. I know. Wow. Yeah. Wow, this must really be love. Well, like yeah. Perth, it's I like know. a seven-hour flight. You get off the plane and you're like, 
another two hours I could have been in Hawaii. It's actually pretty <laughs> fucked. So I don't know. Yeah, interesting choice by me. But yeah, look again. I, I just am really lucky that yeah, it's meant to be. I think. Yeah, you want to have a family one day. I think so. I've always wanted to. It's mm. always been part of the plan. But uh, when that happens, I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess the, the amazing thing again that I've seen with the growth of women's sport is is female athletes going away to have their kids and coming back to the game. Mm. Obviously, we were really, really lucky with Amy Satterthwaite had her little girl Grace, and and she was a pretty much the team mascot there, which was awesome. But again, just that perspective. Yeah, Do you mean we can have a shit game and then she rolls up and. A big smile on her face. What's for tea? Yeah. <laughs> she, she couldn't care less about what has, we're on. Like you seem to have like really good um, perspective now. Has that just sort of come with maturity? Do you think? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. Like I think back to my younger years, and fuck, I made some stupid mistakes, especially on tour and cricket things like getting stood down for drinking and just stupid shit. But again, I think that gives me perspective of mm. these young ones coming through. I, I get it. I know the the law of. You know, having a few too many drinks or wanting to go out and party or whatever else. Nowadays, if I'm staying up past nine, nine thirty, you know, I'm, <laughs> the I'm, of the yeah, team. I'm struggling the next day. But um, yeah, I think yeah, I've been through that sort of phase of of my life, um, mm. and it sort of made me who I am today. I think. Yeah. How much longer are you going to keep going? Uh, as I long as you can, or yeah, I don't know. Eh? There's days where I'm like, I'm ready to hang it up, and then there's other days where I'm like, I don't want to sit behind a desk and. You know, work nine to five. So, yeah, because have you thought about what's next? Yes and no. Like yeah. again, we're really lucky the support we get. I guess with that transition, once you finish playing, super important. Um, I definitely want to stay involved in sport. Um, like I said, I can't imagine. I'd, I was shit at school, so um, <laughs> I can't imagine me yeah behind a desk yeah. for eight hours a day. So it'd have to be doing something active and and helping out that next crop of whether it's cricketers whether it's another sport I don't know but um, again I think the opportunities that are starting to present itself for females in sport is, is yeah. really exciting so I'm not too sure yet but hopefully something what about something something still in the game like commentary would you look at that yeah I've sort of done a little bits and pieces um, I guess the interesting thing I find about commentary though is if you want to do that full-time you might as well be playing <laughs> <laughs> is that yeah? You're going to have to be doing a lot of travel. You're going to have to be on the road yeah, a lot. That it's, gotcha, yeah. it's pretty much the same as playing. So um, I don't know. That's always an option. I think I'd certainly coaching wise. It's a real one. A lot of the girls. Maybe this is a hint that they want me to leave and, and hang up the boots. But um, they've asked me a lot about coaching. And if I'm interested, it's an interesting one because I'm not a very technical person at all. Like if a kid came up to me asking about batting tips. I was. Swing as hard as you can. I don't know. Just yeah, smash yeah. the shit out of it. That's my advice. Like, there's not much technical advice going on. So, I guess I need to find out where my strengths and weaknesses lie, and, and how I can help that next group coming through. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I remember um, seeing an interview with Graham Henry, the old All Black coach, and he, he he's got a theory that um, a lot of um, successful former players don't make very good coaches because. They they just find it too frustrating because it's like you, you should just be able to do it. Yeah. So you'll probably be exactly the same, like you're saying about, oh, I don't know, just swing the fucking bat. Yeah, well, exactly, and I guess that's where I need to find – I've actually, bizarrely, I'm a, I think I'm bordering on OCD. I love my planning and organisation as, as maybe it's a team manager. Maybe that's actually where I'm probably a bit more better suited that I'm not yeah. losing my shit when people can't do things, but, you know, still staying involved in that sporting environment and, and helping people out to thrive to – 
just focus on what they're there to do. So yeah, well, I feel like yeah, I feel like we don't need to worry about this yet. I feel like you've got as many years ahead of you as what you want. Who's the oldest person in the team at the moment? Uh, Susie is at the moment. How old Susie? She's thirty-four. Going on 63, I reckon, though. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Oh, she just loves a good cup of tea, and it's it's amazing. Like I love Susie so much that um, she has got this real youthful energy about her. When you think that she's the oldest person in the team, she should be a bit more mature. She's out here trying to do TikToks with these young 18-, 19-year-olds, and, and they're loving it, and I think that's what makes our group really special at the moment is, like I said at the start, I didn't say anything for two weeks because mm. I was too scared. Whereas here, Susie is trying to TikTok dance with these youngsters and having fun and, you know, breaking down that sort of stuff. And I just think that's so special. But that's also just who she is, is that she, you know, she just wants to have fun. Yeah. That she just wants to sing and dance and, you know, play good cricket, absolutely. And she's one of the hardest trainers I've ever come across. Mm. But just her ability to connect with everyone from every age um, is pretty cool. Oh, it sounds like such a good environment. It's really special. Yeah. I think um, we've probably copped a fair bit of, of shit, especially when our performances haven't been up to scratch. And I'm the first to admit that we always want to win games of cricket and we're doing everything we can to try and win games of cricket because that's why we play the game. But equal to that, though, is we want to make sure that people are, are happy and safe and feel like they can be who they are in our environment. So... Um, that takes time, and we're not always going to get it right, but I think we're certainly starting to grow a pretty incredible culture that I hope any young female wants to come and be involved in. Oh, it's only going to go from strength to strength, isn't it? Fingers crossed, yeah. yeah. Hey, um, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great. It's been a great chat. Oh, it's been great. Thank you so much. Sorry for chewing your ear off. Oh, no, absolutely not. I loved every minute of it. It's great. And, um, geez, whatever you choose to do next, I'm sure you're going to be successful at it. Thank you. It means a lot. Yeah, I know. I, I, I truly believe that. And, um, yeah, all the experiences that you've had, it just, just makes you a more rounded person. And, yeah, thanks for being so open and vulnerable and sharing that stuff. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Hey, good luck. Hopefully next time I see you, you've got a gold medal bloody hanging around your neck. Yeah, sure. I'm not taking that off. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon until I retire, I'm going to be. <laughs> I, I wouldn't either. It's funny. I've, I've had some you know, people on the podcast, and it's like, where do you keep your medals? And some of them are like, uh, you know, some of them have them on display, some of them have them in a drawer. I'm like, fuck, don't put it in a drawer. Nah, I'm wearing that shit. Yeah, would that, would, that be, would that be one of the most meaningful treasures of your career, if you won a Commonwealth Games medal? I think so. Yeah, It'd certainly yeah. be up there. I mean, obviously, World Cups are the pinnacle, but I think the Commonwealth Games is just there's just something to it, isn't there? Yeah. And and to think that we might not ever get that opportunity again, it could easily be scrapped for the next Com Games. So, um, yeah, it's certainly a huge opportunity for us. Oh, what a thing to be part of! Very special. Sophie Devine, good luck. Thank you very Cheers. much. Thanks very much for making it all the way through this episode of Runners Only with Dom Harvey. That was the wonderful Sophie Devine. I can't tell you how much I appreciate having you along for this journey. And I can't believe we're 32 episodes down already. Bloody hell, it's been a busy old year. If you've ever got any feedback, you can send it to me, domharveynz at gmail.com. Or get hold of me on Instagram, domharveynz is my account name. If you like the podcast, you like what you hear, uh, maybe you can do a small favour for me wherever you get your podcast from, probably Spotify or Apple. Give it a rating if you like it. I'm saying this message at the end rather than the front, because if you made it all the way through, then I'm guessing maybe you didn't mind it too much. Another thing you could do is um, word of mouth really helps. So if you can think of someone that would get something out of it or enjoy it, please share with them. Runners Only with Dom Harvey. All right. Thanks very much. Talk soon. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.